You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. A lot of us, we come in here with, a, with, with this very same kind of plastic self, with a plastic Jesus, with, a, with this kind of uh, going through the motions kind of mentality. And uh, John, the apostle, addresses these very things in 1 John. Now, uh, I don't know about you, but, you know, I'm, you know, I feel like I'm getting old, um, er, for sure. And uh, thanks. And we're not too far apart. Just don't forget that. Uh, so whatever I'm experiencing, you got in two years. Um, so uh, I'm I'm about to be 46 here, and uh, you know, I'm, I mean, I get every time I get off the ground, I'm going, ah, okay. I'm getting, you know, I'm getting off furniture, and when I'm sitting, you know, I'll be on the counter, you know, like this here, and somebody, and after they're done, I'm like, ah. Oh. You know, it's like everything's like sore, it's like get the grease out, you know. And, uh, you know, and, and, and I'm thinking, you know, even though I, I'm, you know, getting older, I'm still not uh, filled with maybe all the wisdom that comes with someone who's lived life, you know, who's experienced life. And we've got some uh, mature adults who, who really can give us wisdom. And I want you to imagine, I want you to go back 2,000 years to a church in, in a city called Ephesus, there is a, uh, in, and in this city, Ephesus, there was a pastor whose name was Timothy, and uh, Timothy has actually got a couple of letters written to him in the New Testament. There's one letter written to that church called Ephesians in the church, but there's a guy who sat in the back of that church. He was an old man, and by the time that, uh, you know, a lot of these people were filling up the church in Ephesus. This old man that sat in the back was easily going into his mid to late 80s. And, and this was not just any old man. This was the last living apostle. And there was a guy who walked with Jesus, talked and laughed and lived and loved and, and heard the voice. In fact, he was by many considered Jesus best earthly friend. In fact, of all the apostles, there's one that was with Jesus in his ministry every single moment of almost all of his ministry. And that one guy's name is John. Uh, John, the disciple who became John the apostle. All of the other apostles you know, Judas had taken his own life. They had replaced Judas with a guy named Thaddeus. And, and all 11 apostles, all of them had their lives taken from them. Some of them had their heads cut off. Some of them, they were crucified. Some of them, they were stabbed. Some of them were burned to death. But there was one that lived to be an old man and died an old man. Only one out of all the apostles. And that old man was John the apostle. And it is recorded in the history of the church, the early church, that after he got off the island of Patmos, that he went back to the, to the kind of the core of the church, which at that time, it was after the fall of Jerusalem, the church was no longer in Jerusalem, and the church in Ephesus became the hub of the New Testament church. And he travels back to Ephesus, and there in Ephesus, he lives out his life as an elder in the church, as a statesman apostle the old man in the back who saw and lived and walked with Jesus. And in the course of his end of his life, he wrote some letters to encourage the church. 
First, second, and third John are those little tiny letters. We're looking through one of them in first John. So I want you to imagine that in the back, there's a man who has seen challenges and seen things and seen miracles and walked with the Creator in a way that nobody alive on earth had. And he's saying, you know what? I've walked with Jesus. I've outlived all of the others. I was the closest one to him. And I've told you about Jesus. Now, as time has grown, the church is starting to grow. It's now, you know, some 40, 60 years after the resurrection and ascension of Jesus. And the church started to get all these kind of weird folks inside of it. Not the good kind of weird. I mean, we're all kind of weird, right? But what happened is the church began to be filled with people who claimed to be Christians but were not. There was an epidemic in the church called Gnosticism, which basically it's this super new agey approach to Christianity that, that claimed all these like odd spiritual things about Jesus, that he wasn't God, that he, that he didn't raise from the dead. Some of them even claimed that he didn't even uh, show up physically, that he was a ghost his whole life. All these strange things about Jesus began to pop up. All these strange beliefs about what it meant to be a Christian began to pop up. And John's like, whoa, 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 whoa. I know him. I walked with him. He told me things that he never told anybody else. And I want to set the record straight on what it means to be a Christian. And First John, this letter that we're reading, is that exposure of two Christians of what it means to be a Christian, what it means and what it does not mean. He says, before I go, before I pass on, before I pass the baton, before the last person that ever saw Jesus dies, I want you to know what it truly means to be a follower of Christ. So First John is that letter. And it's one of the hardest books in the Bible to read. It's also a little tiny book. You could read the whole thing in 15 minutes. It's a small four chapters, short chapters. And it's also one of the most personally confronting letters. And at times, it's even one of the most confusing of all the letters. First John is a spiritual lie detector test. And in the course of four chapters, he gives 10 questions that we have to ask ourselves And he gives those 10 questions in 22 passages about what it means to truly be a Christian or to be a poser. So what we've been doing over the last couple of weeks is we've been looking at two each week. We've looked at four so far. Today, we're only going to look at one. One question in a pretty good little section in 1 John chapter 2. So why don't you turn, if you have your Bible, 1 John chapter 2, you can look at the screen. We're going to pick up right where we left off last week at verse 12. Here we go. He says, I write you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. He says, dear children, because he's talking about those young in the faith. He says, I'm talking to you new Christians because, well, you're saved. Thank God for that. That's what he says. I'm writing to you because you're saved. Your sins have been forgiven. Uh, Some people here are like that. Some of you in this room, you're brand new to Christianity. Maybe you're brand new to Christ and you don't know a whole lot of anything. Maybe you're a year or two years old or maybe a week or two weeks old uh, in Christ. Uh, He says, I'm writing to you because your sins are forgiven. And then he says, I write to you fathers because you've known him who is from the beginning. He says, and I'm also writing to those mature in the faith. I'm not just talking to the young in the faith. But I'm talking to those mature in the faith. There are some of you, he says, that have been walking with God a long time. 
He says, some of you, you're now older and, and uh, you have been walking the faith of Christ for 20, 30 years. You're, you're seniors in the faith. And he says, uh, he says, I'm writing to you. And some of you here are like that. Some of you here have known Jesus for a long time and you've been walking with Jesus for a long time and you carry the weight of wisdom and knowledge of what it means to walk with Jesus through the good and the bad times. And then he says, and I write to you, young men, because you've overcome the evil one. And then he says, I'm, I'm, I'm not writing just to those new in the faith, and I'm not just writing to those who are old in the faith, but also those who are not yet fathers in the faith, those uh, young but strong and engaged in the faith. He says there's a group of people in the church, and there's some here, that you're not seniors in the faith yet. But you're not babies in Christ anymore either. He says you're strong, you're walking with Christ, you're engaged in your faith. He says, I'm talking to you as well. So he says it again. In verse 13, he says, I write to you, children, because you have known the Father. He says, man, you're saved. I'm writing to you because you're new at meeting him. He goes, I write to you, fathers, because you've known him who is from the beginning. He says, man, there's some of you that have walked with him for a long time. He says, and I write to you, young men, because you're strong. And the word of God lives in you, and you've overcome the evil one. He says there's basically three types of Christians. There's those who are brand new baby Christians. There are those of you that are, that are mature in the faith and have been walking with him for a while. And then there's some of you that aren't like fathers or mothers in the faith, but you're strong in the faith. And you've been serving him to the best of your ability, walking out your faith in him. Those are the three types of Christians that he's talking to. And then he says... This question, this is a, our main, uh, then he says something that's actually going to give us our main question today. And he says, basically, this is what he says, wherever you are in your faith, I want you to know this. He lays it on us. He says, do not love the world or anything in the world. And if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm like, what? This is one of those passages. It's like one of those confusing passages that I was talking about in 1 John. Because I don't know about you, but I love a lot of stuff in this world. I love my wife. I love my kids. They live in this world. You know, I love, you know, nature. I love the trees. Man, I, I love skiing. You know, I love to look out over an ocean off the beach. You know, there's certain activities. You know, I love a nice cup of coffee on the back patio. I love grilling out. I got two dogs. I love my dogs. You know, I think they're sweet. I don't know if they're going to be in heaven with me, but I love them. I don't know if I want every single pet I've ever had in heaven to be like, woo. <laughs> dogs and cats and mice and parrots and parakeets and, you know, and ferrets. You know, my brother had a ferret, you know. Are, are only Christian pets in heaven or are all pets in heaven? I'm just, I don't know. That's a theological question for another day. But I love these animals. I love their certain activities. You know, I love a good meal, you know. I love that Louisiana crusted chicken at the at, uh, at Cheesecake Factory. Mm, I love all 2,000 calories of it. It was listed as one of the top five worst meals at a chain. I just read that this week. It really is a dilemma for me because that's my favorite thing to eat there. But I love it. So now I'm like, hmm. It says, if you love anything in the world, what does that mean? I guess Jesus wasn't even a Christian because Jesus loved the world. He loved, he told you to love your enemies. He told you to love your family, love your, your uh, you know, the, the poor. He's, he, man, he told us to love things, and 
in fact, he loved us so much that he gave his life and he, he, he died for this, his love for the world. And I want you to know, John is not talking about hating or not loving what you're thinking. So to understand this passage, we actually need to realize that there are two types of worlds. There are two worlds to understand when the Bible talks about the world. And the first world is this. There is a world that is God's creations, and then there is a world that is our obsessions. Let me explain. God's creation would be the earth itself and people. Guys, when God created the heavens and the earth and he created the trees and the lakes and the mountains and he created nature and he created animals, he looked back and he said, man, this is good. When he created people, he said, this is good. And he loves the people and his, he, God loves nature. God loves the lakes. God loves the ocean. God loves green grass and a desert just as much. God loves creation. He looked at it. He created it. He looked at it and said, this is good. And he loves the people. In fact, John 3, 16, we know that verse, for God so loved the world. That means the people of the world. He didn't die for the planet. He died for the people in the planet. He loves the world's people so much that he gave his life, that he sent his only begotten son So when we're talking about the world, there's the world that is God's creations, which he loves. And then there is the world that is our obsessions. John's talking about that type of world. He's talking about the things that vie for our selfish passions that lead us astray from God. A a better way to put it, you might say, is the world's systems or the world's way of operation. So when you think don't love the world, the world, the world, uh, the word here is not cosmos, but is systems or the way the world thinks. So he says, if you operate and live your life and pursue and have the passions that the world has or the things in the world that are offered to us, if our emphasis, if our focus, if our agenda is found in this world, He says, then you might not know who Jesus is. If you want to know if someone or yourself is really a Christian, ask this. This is the one question we're going to look at today, and I call it the priority question. And the question is, what am I chasing after? Go ahead and write that down if you're taking your notes. You need to ask yourself, what am I chasing after? Why are you taking that major in college? Why did you take that job? Why do you want to pursue that line of work? Why do you work so hard? What's the plan that you have for your family, for your life? Why is that the plan for your life, for your family? Who are you doing things for? Why are you doing those things? You know, it's like the, like the great theologian's twisted sister once asked, what do you want to do with your life? I want to rock, you know. It's like, why do you want to rock? What's the motivation of the rock, you know? Um, most decisions, honestly, in life are based on money, convenience, and feelings. Or you might even say love, what we think is love. 
So when we think of what motivates our decisions, you know, when it comes to making financial decisions or when it comes to moving or comes to job, we usually, well, how is this money, how is this financially going to benefit or hurt us? Or how convenient is this? Or is this a decision based on how you're feeling with, you know, if you love someone or love this or love that or whatever. Rarely do we ever ask, how will this affect our walk with God? Because if God is the most important thing in your life, then that should be the most important question in your life, is how is this going to affect my walk with God? Or better, how will this help me to know God better? See, that should be the most important question of our life when it comes to work. When you pick a job, when you go to a job interview, you must ask yourself, not how is the pay, but how is this job going to affect my walk with God? How is this move going to help me in my walk with God? How is this decision with my family? Is it going to help my family to know God better? Or is it going to cause me to struggle in knowing God better? Is this marriage, is this engagement, is this boyfriend or girlfriend, is this relationship, is this decision that we are making going to help us know God better or is it going to cause us to affect our walk with God in a negative way? What's the answer to that question? That is probably the most important question of your entire life. The verses in your notes we're not going to put it on the screen, but Matthew 6, 33, the whole chapter of Matthew 6 is all about where is God in the spectrum of priority in your life. But in Matthew 6, 33, he simply says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things shall be added unto you. He says two things to seek, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. What do those mean? The kingdom of God means, God, what is your will in heaven for my life on earth. God, what is your will for my life? Question one, and is righteousness, meaning will this decision or what I'm doing, will it cause me to honor or dishonor you, your righteousness? Is this going to cause me to walk away from God or display how good you are? Or is it going to cause me to walk away from God or cause someone to be confused by who you are? If you seek First, and it's not a check on a list, it's more like the hub on a, on a wheel. If Christ is the center of your life and your decisions, then what flows out of that are two simple questions. God, what is your will for my life? And will this honor you with my life? Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these other things that you're worried and stressed out and, and, and trying to figure out. He says, they will be added unto you. He says, God will take care of that. For your benefit, if you will seek his will and seek to honor him with your life. Now, John was there when Jesus said that. So let's see what he had to say as he continues to talk about this. In verse 15, he says, do not love. By the way, the word love here is, is this love that means time, attention, and resources. Don't pursue the passions. He said, by the way, there's, there's a good kind of love, right? I mean, if you love your spouse or if you're in a relationship with someone that you uh, have prayed about and you believe this is the person you're going to get married to. And so you're going to invest your time, your attention, and your resources into that love, right? 
You know, we love uh, our pets. We, we're going to give our pets time, attention, and resources. You know, we love hobbies. We love activities. There's certain things that are good that we can enjoy and do and be a part of. And what do we do? When we say we love it, we put our time, we put our attention, and we put our resources in. He says, but do not love. Do not put your time, attention, and resources. He says, do not love the world or anything in the world. He says, don't get too attached to the stuff that won't last. He says, anything in the world, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. He says, they're not compatible. John then talks about three areas of struggle in our life, three areas of sin in our life, that all sin comes out of these three things. Okay, so I want you to think about your biggest struggle. I want you to think about your biggest sin or something that you've stumbled at or something that you think about a lot that you struggle with. It's going to fall under one of these three things. He says, for this, he says, for everything in the world basically makes up one of these three things. He says, everything in the world is either the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. He says, from these things, everything in the world, these things come not from the Father, but from the world or the world's system, the world's way of thinking. Remember, we're looking at not the cosmos here, but the world's process of operation. How does the world look at life? Well, they're all about the lust of the uh, eyes, the, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. He says, but this stuff, they don't come from the Father. They come from the world. Verse 17, the world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Now, as the senior disciple, John, sits in the back of the church, he's hearing the pastor preach, He's listening to the other elders. He's seeing people go to work on Mondays and show up on Sunday for for fellowship and for church and for communion. And he starts to wonder, guys, listen, this is what I want you to know about loving God when you leave here on Sundays to go out to do your thing. He goes, I want you to know this. He's basically saying what you are chasing determines what you really love. And you can write that one down and, and close your Bible and go home if you want. Because that's what, don't really do that. Because uh, I want you to hear the rest of it. But that's really the gist of the whole thing. And that is what you are chasing determines what you really love. You want to know if you love God? You want to know if someone loves God? You want to know if your kids love God or if your husband or wife or that friend or that person sitting next to you loves God? Do you want to know if you really love God? What are you chasing? What are you chasing after? If I said I love my wife yet chased other women, there'd be a problem. John says there's a problem. Many of you say you love Jesus, but you're chasing other women. You're chasing other affections. You're chasing other things. Three choices that show our real priorities. Now, I've got this this makeshift game here. And this is kind of how we, let's see where I can start. Let's see where my options are, and then I'll start going from there. Okay. Now, this is uh, the color version of Jenga. Now, this is what he's saying. He says, there are things that we do that show our real priority. I'm going to come back to this in a minute. Here's the first question, and the first question is this. Is, do I seek to satisfy myself, or do I choose self-control. He says, you want to know if somebody's really living for God, they need to ask themselves about this whole struggle of lust of the flesh. He says, first John, for everything in the world, the world system are about this. The world is obsessed with the lust 
of the flesh. And lust here is not the word sex. The, the word lust here means strong craving, yearning, or desire. So this, this strong desire for fleshly things. Let me explain. He's talking about our craving for more. He's talking about our drive for more. Uh, yesterday, I got this thing pretty high. Uh, he's talking about just wanting to have more and more, trying to get a little bit just on top, a little bit more. This is, I think, going to mess me up. He's talking about our drive, our desires. If I only had fill in the blank, that's all I need until you have it. And then it's only if I had fill in the blank until you get it. And then it's if I only had fill in the blank. What is your blank for you? If I only had a new car, if I only had a better car. God, I'm not asking for a new car, just one that AC works, right? God, that's not much. If I had AC car, God, I would serve you. I'd be happy all the time. God, if I just had a job that paid a little bit more with people I liked a little bit more, I would be so happy. I'd show up at church every Sunday. God, if I just made a little bit more, God, if I just did that, I'd give a little bit more. God, if I, if I just had X, Y, Z, my wife and I would be so much better. My kids and I would be so much closer. God, if I just had a, a house, if I just had a better apartment, if I just had one more bedroom, if I just had a lawnmower that worked better, I wouldn't be so angry every two weeks when I had to mow my yard. If I just had, it's this, are we choosing to constantly satisfy what our flesh is desiring or are we choosing self-control? It reminds me of the fisherman and the businessman. Uh, midday, the fisherman's done. And uh, he's packing up and getting ready to go home and, and to go home to his family. And a businessman walks up and he says, hey, what are you doing? And uh, the, the fisherman says, well, I've caught enough fish for today. And, and he says, why should I go back out? And the businessman says, why? So you can catch more, so you can make more, so you can buy more boats, so you can catch more fish, so you can have a bigger cruise, so you can catch even more fish and have even more uh, boats so that you can save money. And then one day you can relax and enjoy life. And the fisherman responds, okay, well, that's what I'm trying to do today. Both were searching for the same thing, but one thought the answer was with having more. And what drives you in life? Is it pleasure or self-control? Here's the second question. It's the lust of the flesh, and then it's the lust of the eyes. And this is the second question. Do I pursue, do I pursue more of what I see, or do I choose contentment? Sometimes you have what you need, and you, you have your fill-in-the-blank, and then all of a sudden, the better TV comes along, or the better car comes along, or the better neighborhood comes along, or the better shoes come along, or that nicer purse comes along, and all of a sudden, you're like, you know what? I want that. I see that, and I want that. I saw that over there. I saw that while I was shopping. I saw that on TV. I heard, and I imagine I saw it in my mind. I saw me wearing those clothes. I saw me driving that car. I could see it. I see it, and I want it. He says, there are those that all they want to do is gratify what their flesh desires, whether it be sexual or physical or, or recreation. He says, there's a fleshly desire that overtakes our passions. And then he says, there's this, this sense of wanting everything you see. And he says, there are some of you for everything in the world, the systems of the world are all about 
the lust of the eyes. If you've ever had a television in your entire life, you know everything on television is all about lust of the eyes. Every commercials, check this out, check this out. You could have this, you could go here, you could be the, uh, there, this could be the uh, you. And you are all about, uh, in this world system, a product of consumerism. Your product, uh, your person, your consumer to buy a product. That's all you are. Well, this whole lust of the eyes is is really a large part of the world system and the things you see you want. If I could just have, oh, that's the one I want. Ugh, I'll just take this one. I'm not happy with that one. He goes, if I could just have one more thing. If I could just get, uh, not yet. Come on, come on. I need this to last a few more minutes. <laughs> there we go. He goes, if I could just get one more thing. You know, we're just always trying to get higher, just trying to get more. We inconvenience our foundation. We're struggling in the areas that are going on in our life under the surface that nobody sees just so we could get more, have more, experience more. He says, there are those of you that everything you see, you want. Everything you want, it drives your passions. Everything you have you got to have more of. John and Light, he says, of who I've walked with, I see an unhealthy desire, John says, in some of you who have this obsession with wanting more stuff. He says that desire misdirects your pursuits. And he says, if that is your obsession in life, then you need to check your heart at the door. Moment of truth. Maybe you're not walking with Jesus. Like Eve, she saw... The Bible says, we have this instance in Genesis, she saw the, the fruit of the vine and it was pleasant to the eye. It's because she saw that it looked so good and she wanted it, that she ate it. It was the root of the lust of the eyes. So what are you chasing? Here's the third question, and that is the pride of life. And he asked the question, do I crave more position and power or do I choose humility? Now see, hold out for me now. This little tower here. I want want the middle ones. They last longer. Um, Okay. He says, you know what? Some of you, you just want more power. You want more position. For everything in this world, the systems of the world are all about the pride of life. The arrogance of self-entitlement that keeps us from being a servant to others. uh, That we somehow are exempt or better than others. That we feel that some, even when we serve... We're trying to climb the ladder of esteem. Unfortunately, some of you love to be a servant until you're treated like a servant. You, you want to be considered a servant leader until someone actually treats you like a servant. You're like, hey, man, I'm, I'm just here helping for the day. I'm here for you. So you need to respect what I'm doing here. You know, I've gone on trips and we're, we're doing mission work and, and the people sometimes are not appreciative. You know, they're, they're, they're not very friendly. Sometimes you're, you're pouring your heart out to somebody and they're, they're, they're grabbing stuff off your wrists. They're, they're, they're pulling at you. They're taking your hat and your glasses and running. And you're like, I'm just trying to love on you. Get back here. Where's the respect? You know, it's, and we get back to our small group and we're angry because we're here giving our heart and these people are not very appreciative. And you're like, you know what? Um, you need to check your heart. Because are you, are you 
trying to fill a void that you feel guilty about? Are you trying to feel good about yourself or look good in front of others? Are you trying to gain some sort of esteem or power or position? Or are you choosing humility? Because if we're chasing power and position, then we're going to miss chasing God. You see, this is the kind of person who always wants the best seat. They always want to be served. They always want to be first in line. You know better, and you let's face it, you think you are better, and so you think you deserve everything better. Well, this is what Paul said to the church in Philippi. In Philippians 2, 3, he says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. You see, John says, I see the church in a big dilemma. I see the church just trying to do everything they can. No. Come on now. Oh, that, that one's going to tumble for sure. Too soon. I want to tell you something. John says, you know, this is exactly where you're headed. Some of you are trying to climb this more stuff ladder, this more pleasure ladder, this more fun ladder, just how many tickets can I buy? How many rides can I ride? How many adventures can I go on? I just want that adrenaline rush. I just want that physical rush. I just want more stuff. I just want more power. I just want more position. I just want more pleasure. I just want more possessions. There's this, this ladder, he says, and you're, you're pulling at everything you have underneath you to get higher and higher. And he says, listen, you will fall. You will fall. He says, I see it and and I'm worried. And he says this, he says, all those things you want so badly, they don't even last. He says in verse 17, he says, the world and its desires, all that stuff that you're chasing and trying so hard to get, he says, the world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. What are you buying? What are you saving? Why are you saving? What are you working for? What's your status trying to achieve? What's that position you're trying to attain? What's that prestige you hope to get? What's that title you hope to have in front of your name? What's the influence you're trying to make? He says all of that will pass away. If you love the world, you get rewarded. Man, the the world knows how to reward its lovers. Those that love the world, the world will reward you. It rewards you with status and honor and comfort. And the world knows how to give and reward its lovers, but it lasts only as long as you live. Yet for many of us, that is what we spend our passions, our time, our interests, our resources on. Well, you think, well, weren't the disciples successful? Well, not by the world's standards. Not by the world's standards. Many were homeless. Many of them uh, did not have regular work in their situation. They were traveling. They were working. They were trying to spread the gospel. Many of them did not have anything. They did not have a home. They did not have possessions. Many of them, they lost their families. Uh, All of them were tortured. All of them were put in prison for extended amount of time. All of them but one, John, was put to death, a violent death. They were all failures according to today's Standards to the world's standards, but they were. Due to technical difficulties, the end of this message is unavailable.
Thank you for listening to the Living with Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.